0: What's up? Welcome back to Barton and Bud. Barton and Bud Show. I'm Barton Simmons. That's Bud Elliott. Bud, I'm looking outside my window. It's sunny. It's nice outside. Kind of starting to feel a little bit like fall, but it's raining football. Big Ten announcing they're going to play. Everybody's playing. Pac-12 saying, we want to play. Hashtag Mountain West releasing statements saying, we're going to try to play as early as possible. Playing football's cool again, uh, you know. I guess uh, for all of us that want to see the Big Ten play and felt like they could, um, we got some good news, man. Congratulations. Um, how you feeling?
1: This is like when when you make a tea time with with four of your you know three or four of your buddies and two of you show up and your other buddy's like, no, it's gonna rain. I'm not I'm not coming. And then he realizes like it's actually the weather's okay and it's not raining and and you get the hey, man, can you guys push back or meet me on the back nine text? and like This is kind of the Big Ten, and and you're like, come on, man. Like You're a little bit annoyed with them, but you're still going to let them back in. So welcome back, Big Ten. College football is more fun with the holiest of thou conferences, uh, the Big Ten. So we've already had a lot of people in our network cover this, and I'm trying to figure out an interesting angle for us to cover it if you want to. College football daily uh, had basically how it's going to work. Uh, Josh Pate also had a lot of angles on the late kick extra podcast that he dropped an emergency edition of uh, today being what uh, Wednesday. So I think there's two angles we, we can take on this though. First of all, I, I want to like the, the angle on the overall college football playoff is something I want to dive into with you. And then I'm not sure that playing is good for every big 10 team. I mean, everybody wants to get that, that TV check. So from that standpoint, certainly it's good, but I think there's some teams who are distinct winners and maybe some teams who are like, guys, I, I don't know, man. Should we really be playing? Like, you know, that it's just not and not for safety reasons, but for like playing a season is not good for our, our program's image because we might really suck. So where do you want to start, man? Just your initial thoughts, or you want to go playoff? Do you want to go potential winners and losers?
0: Well, I think um This is the this is this has been sort of the um my initial reaction to it is, is, and and I think everyone probably needs to understand uh, as we, as we approach this discussion, like what the challenges that are ahead for the big 10 are, which is they're playing an eight game schedule in eight weeks, no bye weeks no wiggle room, no flexibility. Um, You know, you get what you get. And within that, uh, any positive tests is results in 21 days of inaction from the player. Uh, And, a uh, 5% uh, COVID positive rate within the team will trigger a seven day uh, pause in action. And so I think the, the challenge that needs to be sort of presented the context that needs to be colored here is the idea that it's going to be really hard to get eight games in. It's going to be really hard to get a complete schedule in, you know, if, if, you know, the, the idea here is get this thing rolling so that Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, Wisconsin, whoever thinks they're playoff contenders has an opportunity to get in the playoffs. But I think within that, within that discussion, it, you have to then approach this question with the, with the reality that an eight-game schedule may be very hard to pull off. And so I would then present to you just just flat out, like, no stipulations. How likely is it that the Big Ten can actually get a team in the playoffs?
1: I think the Big Ten has enough power that they will get a team in the college football playoff if their champion has a zero or a one in the loss column and has managed to play at least six games. Because all, all the games are going to be conference games. Obviously, they're, they're not playing any, any of the non-conference stuff. You're going to play division games and probably front-load it. We haven't seen the schedule yet, but we have to imagine that they will play. like They're going to try to get Ohio State, Penn State early, Michigan, Ohio State early, games like that early. I, I, I'm fairly confident the Big Ten can get a team into the playoff. I, I think that's why they went ahead and made the announcement today, so they can go ahead and, and be in that conversation starting now. Uh, do, do we actually have a start date on, on when they're officially going to start? Now I'm, I'm looking for. Uh... Well, it was the weekend of twenty third, twenty fourth. Okay, got it. And then their championship game, so to speak, would be uh, December nineteenth, I think, or sixteenth. It, it's one of those those team dates, R- right around early signing period. By the way, that's that's going to be a wild, oh yeah, no doubt coverage for us. Uh, look, the Big Ten they went back because they they wanted to play in the playoff because enough of their power programs were able to convince their presidents that they should because. Other leagues are pulling this off, not without incident, but without like serious, you know, kid dropping dead or, or having a major heart issue on the field through two weeks. You know, obviously, we, we hope and pray that continues to happen. But also, the Big Ten is really concerned with the money grab here. They're playing an extra consolation, like intra conference bowl game <laughs> against the opposite division team, ostensibly just to get some more money and, and some more games in to try to fulfill as much of that TV contract. As they possibly can, but man, I'm I'm fairly confident that they will get a team into the playoff as long as they have a team that's, that's worthy of going to the playoff relative to the other leagues. I, are, are you Are you not confident? I'm not confident. I'm not, Ooh, that's interesting okay.
0: to me that you are because all right. So to me, like, let's look at it this way. All right, so basically, the the so the Big Ten's got a, an, an eight game schedule. The SEC, let's just compare it to the SEC. SEC has a ten game conference schedule. With one bye week built in, uh, is that right? Yeah. Right, right. So, so basically, the SEC sort of has a three-week head start on the Big Ten in that regard, for in the sense of they've got a bye week to work with, and they would have to have two, they would have to have two games canceled and the bye week pass in order to get down to that eight-game number that the Big Ten is sitting at. Okay, so. I'm going to assume there's a couple games that get canceled in the big, in the SEC somewhere along the way. Um, I'm going to say, you know, if, if a team is a team's going to be very fortunate to get nine in, um, it might be you might be looking at a conference champion. Like let's just say Alabama, maybe they're eight and zero. If Alabama is eight and zero, if and let's just that's not even compare it to Alabama. Let's you know let's say Alabama and Clemson both go undefeated. Whatever the whatever the number on the left is, the number on the right is going to be a zero. So let's just say those two teams are undefeated, and they're in. So then you're comparing a Big Ten, and let's say Big Ten is a six is a six and and0 champion. All right. Do you think a six and and0 champion gets in over, let's say, an eight and one SEC West runner up?
1: Can Can you give me a name on who that six and and0 champion is?
0: I mean, Ohio State is is the
1: is the easiest sort of case to make. And Justin's playing. Yes, then I'm taking Ohio State. I, I I think they I think they would get it in. Um, you think Ohio State?
0: You think Ohio State is six and zero with Justin Fields would get in over say a an eight and one let's say LSU.
1: I do. Okay. Now for this right. reason, right? Like the college ball playoff is a business. It's a money making venture. They are extremely happy that the Big Ten jumped back into this thing because that means there are many more TV markets who are going to be paying attention. To college football this year and to the college football playoff. The playoff is better when we have some diversity of region as far as people to watch and having that entire, you know, north of the Mason-Dixon line a little bit more invested. Yeah, I I think they would cook the books and put Ohio State in at at, at that rate. I don't think that they'd be more deserving, but I think they would do it. See, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm
0: I'm with the like. I don't know that I'm on board with the idea that you know they are. Uh, they'd be sitting in the room, and they'd say, yeah, let's get the Big Ten in, or even subconsciously be like, you know, what? it'd be nice to have the Big Ten in this thing. I'm more of the, I, I, but I do agree with you in the sense that the the playoff committee has kind of every step of the way been very much about this this subjective we want the teams that we think are the best in it's less about resume it's more about you know what well, we're smart guys like we
1: know football we, they like, keep it nebulous on purpose man yeah
0: like we they want to keep they they want to they want to go out there and sit in a room and be like look i'm an ad i'm a former coach i'm whatever i am i know better than you know bill conley and bud elliott's you know algorithms like let's like the best teams need to go in and they're gonna put them in and 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 so I think in that sense, like if, if Justin Fields is out there rolling, and Ohio State's is is looking like the national champion caliber team that we think they are, yeah, I do think that would be really tough to leave them out uh, even at six and zero. That said, I think the schedule release is going to be fascinating because. What if like what if Oh what if the two games that are canceled for Ohio State and look maybe they all get played. Maybe I'm overestimating the idea that the the sort of we got gonna have a game or two baked in regardless. But what if what if they, they get two canceled somewhere along the way and the games that are canceled are Penn State and I don't know, maybe not Michigan, but uh I don't know who that, you know, Indiana, is probably going to have a pretty good year. Like what if those are the two that they, that they miss, they still get Michigan and then they get a bunch of teams that they, that are really not that good. Um, and then you got an, a, you know, whoever the Georgia or Auburn or LSU or, or Florida, who've got a couple of signature wins along the way, that's,
1: that's going to be a pretty heated debate. That's actually, that's a really interesting hypothetical. Uh, do you think the Big 12 is hurt by this announcement? Did you I, do, I think. I, I do. So tell me yeah. why you think it is. Because I, I previously, I really didn't think the Big 12 having such a poor weekend was going to hurt them very much in, in the long run because there were only three Power 5 conferences. I, I didn't think it was super likely if you had a one loss or zero loss Big 12 champ that they would get left out in favor of like two SEC and two you know ACC-type teams. Now, I did pick that to happen, but not – I I I thought Texas would be like a three loss Big 12 champ. After last weekend, my thought was okay. Well, the chance that we actually have a zero or one loss champ in the Big 12 is elevated now because we've seen that Iowa State is not quite as good as we thought they were. We've seen Kansas State and Texas Tech might be a little bit more vulnerable than we thought they were. Kansas is probably about as bad as you and I thought thought they were when we put them in the basement of of the league, but now. Now there's another, another conference that you have to fight against. We're pretty sure the ACC is going to get a team in, right? E- either Clemson, Notre Dame, or maybe a North Carolina, who could have a record because their schedule is pretty easy within the league this year to get in. We're we're damn sure the SEC champion is going. Like I, I'm, I'm gonna I'll I'll fight that to the death. Like they're they're gonna go. Three loss SEC champ. I think this year could go if 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 it happens. But now you got another conference contending against the Big Twelve. That that for that spot, because you could see a situation where maybe the big 10 gets in if Ohio state ends up playing Penn state, Michigan looks dominant. Clemson is in Bama's in. And maybe if Bama Georgia split and they're both, you know, eight w- with one loss at the end of the SC title game, maybe they both get in and the big 12 with two loss champ is, is on the outside looking in. I, I, I do think this hurts more than, than it helps the big 12. I think
0: from a logistical standpoint, though, like the Big Twelve is the is the conference that is is doing this. It has the best shot from like a logistical standpoint because they this is a nine game conference schedule, kind of that optional plus one, and two buys built in within it. So they've got eleven weeks to get in nine games, and you got eleven weeks to get in nine games. Let's say, you know, let's let's just say the 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 two game the two week sort of hiccup is good standard across the board. Let's just call that with the standard. So if you got, if you got 11 weeks to get in nine games, then like, you got to feel like big 12 has got a pretty good chance to get in eight, maybe nine. And if you're, if it's the, you know, sec is looking at, you know, 10 games in 11 weeks, you know, then they're looking at, you know, nine, eight, big, big uh big tens looking at six. Um, so I just think it's, it's, you know, I, I just think the big 12 in particular, like we talked about the big 12 and how the, you know, how the, the conference is stacked up. Like it's, I, you know, what happened with the, the Sunbelt is st- as long as Oklahoma goes and crushes Kansas state, like they're good. As long as the Texas goes and crushes, you know, beats Iowa state, you know, they're good. As long as, as long as uh, Oklahoma state, you know, gives it the kind of year that I think they might have, like they, 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 they that should be good. So, uh, I don't know. I'm not I, I, I would just be I'm you know every year it's these sort of moving scales, sliding scales of like how to how to compare teams and 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 particularly given that we're have much less transitive property opportunity this year in terms of cross uh, you know games that overlap and teams that have played the same team and things like that. Uh, it's just gonna be so hard to measure you know who's better than who. and I, I think that if you're an Oklahoma team, and you've sort of beaten everyone on your schedule, um, and you played more games. I don't know; it's going to be hard to keep you out.
1: I I, I agree with you there. I, I just think this reduces the the Big 12's margin for error. Right? Like like previously, I, I thought a, a two loss Big Twelve team would probably get in as the ch- as the champion. Now I think you probably need to finish with zero or, or one loss. I think your think your margin margin of error has been reduced a little bit simply by the introduction of, of another team. You know, now if, if you have two losses. Even if you play three more games, they do have that opportunity to say, "Look, man, they lost two games in a league that you know went went zero and three against the Sun Belt." Blah 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 blah. Ohio State has looked dominant. Their sample set is smaller, but their their dominance is impressive. It's uh, i I agree with you fully. Like if they have zero one losses, they're still getting in out of a Power Five league. Uh, I don't think there's any real doubt about that. Uh, so clear winners here, Ohio State. We've talked about them for five or six minutes already on this podcast. Anything to add? I think they're a very clear winner in the win-lose win, win lose column.
0: Uh, yeah, no, and I agree. I mean, I think the other thing, now is going to be interesting to see if Sean Wade opts back in, if Wyatt Davis opts back in, if, um, you know, if, uh, just, you know, and, and I think Justin Fields, the opportunity he has now to, to sort of up his stock is going to be important. So, um, you know, I, I think that there's, there's a lot to play for. So it would be interesting to see what that team looks like, as hungry as they've been to play. But no, this is definitely you know they've been the ones driving the boat here throughout.
1: Wisconsin certainly, I, I think, is, is a winner because they do bring back so much. And I I don't know if Rashad Bateman is going to opt back in, but if you if you if you recall, receiver Rashad Bateman was one of the first, or maybe the first big guy, to opt out of college football this year, um, and, and just you know decide to focus. On the draft for Minnesota, but Barton, I think interestingly we also have we got some teams that that for football reasons I don't think actually want to play football this fall. Uh, maybe we'll take some heat for saying this, but I have three. Let me know if you if you agree disagree. Probably the same oh, three. Okay. I bet you do the same three. Let's because I have three too. All right, so Michigan State, Mel yeah. Tucker. Mel Tucker got there like on fricking Easter. OK, like has barely had any time to meet his players. They've had multiple uh like shutdown things all, all already. The state of Michigan not, not going so well. Uh, their record this year is probably going to be really sketchy if they, if, they, if they play. And I guess there's no if anymore <laughs> when they play. Uh, they're in a loaded division. I, I think it, if I'm him, I'd rather, and this impacts recruiting too, I'd rather not, not show what I'm made of on the field this year with that roster and just continue to sell hype and hope on the recruiting trail and I, I want my full spring. I, I want a regular summer before I make my debut as a head coach. So uh, for Michigan state, so Michigan state is, is one of mine.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, I agree. I think so. The, the the thing with me and, and there were some other ones that I think are less obvious that I think it was good that they're playing to like, I think Indiana getting a chance to play this year. Like they, they should have a good team. So I think missing an opportunity to get on the field this year is, it would, would, would be disappointing. Um, I think Illinois, you know, with as much experience they have coming back on defense with a quarterback, that's good. I mean, sure. Lovey Smith could maybe take a free pass for another year and just get, you know, get to 2021. But I think they they could build on something. I think Nebraska needed to get on the field to, to kind of continue to instill and, and put into practice like the Scott Frost culture that has sort of still struggling to take hold. And, you know, a lot of these teams that are just sort of climbing, to the top just need to get more game reps, need to feel what it's like to to win close games and things of that nature. And, and I think missing this year, missing this fall, having some opt-outs, having some guys go to the NFL, like all that stuff would have really hurt their development as programs. On the flip side, like Michigan State, I think when you are literally starting from scratch, basically, and building that culture, when you're, when you're, when you're trying to get momentum from a, from a hard stop like to do it in, in the off season we've had, in the summer we've had, in the preseason that we've had and be, and be like judged as if these, because no one's going to, no one's going to cut anybody in any slack. I mean, it is what it is. It's football. People are going to, people are going to put, you know, Mel Tucker on the hot seat as soon as he goes one at oh O and one. Um, not really, but they're going to, but they're going to be, he's going to have feel pressure right away. Um And so I think that, you know, in the same light, Rutgers is sort of an obvious one to me because they've recruited well, but those guys aren't. Those are, you know, they've recruited well in class of 2021. They did some you know some decent things in class of 2020, but they need like the more t- the more they can stall to have an opportunity to just get the Greg Schiano culture in place. I think he has a really good staff. I think they're going to get better from a talent perspective, but they're just not ready for this and. And, and so, you know, the fir- and, and, and not only that, but in recruiting, if you're a Rutgers, and, and even in a, in a shutdown situation like this, where, you know, you've got an opportunity to keep guys at home more so than ever, and every day, every week, every month is further away from the last Rutgers blowout loss, <laughs> you know, and so, you know, class of 2022, hey, if we miss this season, class of 2022, you were like two years removed. From the last forty-nine to nothing loss, and so I think Rutgers having an opportunity to to just get their feet under them um, with a Greg Schiano hire that gives them a chance of success, Uh, you know, throwing just just diving into the fire here from the jump is probably not, uh, you know, not not a great
1: uh, great situation to be in. If you're watching on the YouTube version, the Dodgers hat is Rutgers recruiting. The Under Armour hat is Rutgers playing games. As Rutgers games increase. Rucker's recruiting goes down, and then they're uh, they're off the screen. Okay,
0: right? Yeah, right now all their all their pitching is a promise. As soon as those losses start piling up in the Greg Schiano era, then you got to start you know pitching the
1: pitching what's what's put in practice. All right, so my third team kind of fits in the same thing, except it's not a new head coach. It's a coach who's already been there, and a team that I project to be a pretty bad team this year, and a guy who, as a head coach, has a, a pretty lacking track record. There's some belief out there that he's turned things around after his, uh, his stint in, in the school of Nick Saban, we'll have to see. Uh, but that division this year is brutal. Uh, I think Maryland, if they end up playing eight games, is probably headed for like one in seven. And their recruiting is extremely good right now relative to what they were last year and relative to that program's you know, normal standards of success. So I really think like the key for Maryland taking home a recruiting class as good as it is right now might be not playing games. Mike Loxley is the master of the offseason. It's the season that that you know can, can cause you some problems. So now that they actually have to play some games, that's not a positive for them. I actually think if they had not played this year, he could have kind of landed this recruiting class, got got it in the boat, and then been improved enough next year to where maybe, maybe this thing can work out. Maybe it can still work out. But I, if you gave him the truth Sarah, and we, we talk about that sometimes, I don't think they're real happy about having to play this year, man. Unless I'm wrong about how good they are, but, but I, I don't think I am. No,
0: I agree. And I, and I think it's, it's for, for me, it's even more specific than just general talent level. And it's, you know, it's, it's the quarterback position where that's been the issue at Maryland. I mean, Maryland's had some good players. They've had some NFL draft picks. They've had some, they've had some talent, but they just have had horribly bad luck at quarterback, if not just bad players at quarterback. And whether Lance Legendre the redshirt freshman emerges as their their starter or Talia Tongavailoa the transfer from Alabama the younger brother Tua whether he takes over as the starter uh either way like if Mike Loxey can get more time with those guys like Legendre was a talented but raw player who's going to get better but needs time um he is already a, getting better, like strong reviews after his, you know, the off season after his freshman year, but give that guy another six months or something like, Hey, maybe he is, maybe he's ready to be the guy. Um, Talia, you know, I know that he's going to have some familiarity with Mike Loxley's offense because it's going to be, I would imagine very similar to, to what he, you know, he saw at Alabama in a lot of ways, but I think, you know, give that give him some time to to settle in and learn the system. He's still new. He, you know, he just he just got approved as a his waiver approved not that long ago, I don't think. And so I just think as they try to figure out quarterback, if Maryland could have had a little bit of more time to get that position more settled, I think you feel a lot better about what what they can put on the field. Not only that, but that's this is one of those programs that's been, you know, I don't think they were even in a building most of the summer. Um they They've they've already had some practice disruption here over the last month or so. So they've had plenty of COVID, um, obst- I'd say more COVID obstacles than sort of your typical Big Ten team to this point.
1: So I, before we go to ad break here, I want to ask you uh, two things. First, I saw on Twitter, man, Nashville is going to have car racing through the streets. Have, have you seen this? They're having, the in, they're having streets. They're having indie race like downtown. They're going to shut it down and have an Indy indie race like that. Is I hadn't even to, seen they're that. They're going over the bridge. Oh wow, that's that's are, legit. Are you guys going to go? It's like an outdoor event. I mean, you know, COVID free I mean, potentially or you know, yeah. I don't know. Let's
0: see. I think uh, that sounds like something scalp might get on board with she's, she's kind of got a little rough and tumble to her. She's seeing cars go fast. Sounds like it could be com- compelling. I, I had not heard of that. I got to dig up that. That sounds awesome.
1: That's gonna be pretty cool. And then my second question, I, I know you were a safety in college. Uh, Austin P was lining at split field safeties, you know, basically the same depth, uh, six or seven yards off the ball against Pitt. And uh, one of my coaching friends was talking about how he, he, he thinks this is like super stupid and like, you can still stop the run from, 12 yards of depth, and there's no reason to be that close uh, to the line of scrimmage. Did that bother you if your coach told you to line up six or seven yards off the line of scrimmage as a safety? Like, like <laughs> Depending on what he was asking
0: me to do. If I needed to go back quick, and if I had a fast guy running at me, then uh, then that was a little bit worrisome. I'd get that backpedal going quick. But uh, uh, You know
1: what happened on the play? What? It's a 76-yard 76, 76 play action post for a touchdown. Yeah, so. uh, Who scored it? Do you know? Uh, Pitt. Do you remember? I mean, do you remember uh, a player? It's not Shocky Louis because I know his shoulder pads aren't aren't, aren't that bad, or uh, aren't that big. I'm I'm trying to see right. you on Twitter, but
0: uh, no, I didn't. I hadn't seen that. That's uh, that's a, that's a bind. That's a bind to put those guys in. I was never if you're gonna line me up at six or seven yards, and I did that a few times. I'm coming downhill. Like I was, I was not athletic enough to line up six or seven yards and then go backwards and cover to deep half or deep third. Uh, I'm not Ed Reed or Troy Polamalu.
1: I'm guessing Austin P uh, also does not have I don't think those guys either. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. All right. So after the ad break, we're going to go into what do we want to learn from this weekend? I think we have a deep dive on the Miami-Louisville game. And we also have a listener mailbag question from the Apple podcast review section. As always, five stars on Apple podcasts and drop your question there in the review section. It increases your chance uh, that we get it answered here in a regular show, or maybe we'll save it To your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, dude. Let's go ahead and get into what we want to learn about this weekend. Uh, I kind of want to start out with this this deep dive on on the top game of the weekend. By far, I mean th- th- this weekend slate is not great. Last weekend slate was not great, but it's still football. I'm still into it. I'm still going to probably. Be on the couch for 10 to 12 hours on Saturday and, and watching everything I can and live betting, et cetera, et cetera. But if there's appointment viewing, it's after the US opens over, turn on 7.30 at night, Miami, Louisville. Are you excited for this? Like I am, because I think we're going to learn something about the hierarchy in the ACC here. Absolutely. I am, you know,
0: you're going to over time, bud, you're going to get exhausted with my Scott Satterfield affection and appreciation and this is, this is the first, the first opportunity uh, for me to uh, pound my chest about Scott Satterfield being a stud coach. Um, but I, I, that said like I, genuinely, like I, I'm really excited about this game because I think it's, is a I think this is a really intriguing matchup in terms of how some of these pieces coincide. I'm, um, I, 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 I'm very interested in in what's going to happen. Talk about what we can learn. Like we're going to learn a lot in this game uh, specifically. So, you know, you want to dig into these, some of these matchups. I I, I think they're pretty, pretty compelling.
1: Yeah. So I I watched the full Miami UAB game. Uh, I went back and watched highlights and the explosive plays of the uh, Louisville and Western Kentucky game, which Western Kentucky actually has a pretty good defense. So I I was interested to see, you know, just how Louisville put up those points. And and I had a couple couple takeaways that, that led to a couple questions as far as what I want to learn this weekend. Uh, Louisville's defensive line looked improved. Now, Western Kentucky's offense was flat bad last year, and it was not good this year. And they have uh, Terrell uh, Pigram, Pigrone, whatever his yeah, name Tyrell is, Terrell Pigram, a, yeah, a, a quarterback. So he's not a huge passing threat for them, or at least was not in the game. But I, I thought Louisville. You could make a
0: case. You could make a case. He is a poor man's Derek King.
1: You could that's actually kind
0: of kind of prepares Louisville for Derek King in a lot of ways that's actually a really good
1: comparison um and I, I think Louisville their defensive line did a good job getting penetration a lot of tackles for loss a lot of havoc plays against Western Kentucky it helped that they got the lead you know fairly early I, I think it was in the second quarter uh, but I was impressed with them man so this is going to be a test for Miami's offensive line um I want to know can Miami block up Louisville because last year even though Miami's offense was terrible, that they dropped fifty on the cane or on on the Cardinal. So I want to see how much Louisville's defense, especially up front, has improved in this game. And I want to know can Louisville make Miami throw the ball? Because if Miami can just run the ball with the tempo that it wants to run, then the Hurricanes are going to win because they have the better defense. I'm just trying to figure out by how much. You know, is the gap between Miami's defense and Louisville's defense bigger than the gap between Louisville's offense and Miami's offense?
0: Yeah, I think, so in terms of Miami's offense versus Louisville's defense, like one thing that uh, I kind of, <clears throat> I just checked just out of curiosity because they, they control Western Kentucky, um, but they played Western Kentucky last year and that was not a good defense last year. And they held Western Kentucky to like 43 yards rushing last year. Um, and this year, I think Western Kentucky had like 120 um, and so, it, you know, it, it was it was a good effort, but like I don't think that what we saw from Louisville's defense is all that conclusive. I think they still have a lot to um, prove. I think when you watched them last year, one of the things that really stood out was just this was a team that was still learning a defense this was a team that wasn't fitting in the right places this was a team that was like not all that sound defensively could give up big plays just they they just they needed another year in the system and so i don't think their defense is loaded with studs but i do think that you know the the key here the goal for Louisville is just to be to be improved to be more fundamentally sound and i don't know whether this offseason has provided them the the uh opportunity to 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 sort of build on that the way they'd like to. But I mean, I think that that's going to be the, the key against Miami, because when you talk about what Miami does well, um, I mean, the teams that beat up on them last year, were the teams that could run the football really well, if I'm not mistaken, like I gotta go back and look, but like they just couldn't stop the run more than anything else. And Miami first week, you know, their offense was imperfect, but they look like they can run the football. Um, and so I think that that matchup is, uh, is going to be interesting I also think and there's a couple of the matches I want to I want to discuss but I also want to bring up this too and, and see what your thoughts on it like the Mikhail Cunningham Derek King just quarterback to quarterback battle like I think people came into the year thinking Derek King is is you know one of the best quarterbacks in the country and he may well, very well be but when this game kicks off like I'm not sure that there's that, that, that Derek King is clearly the better quarterback than Mikhail Cunningham and that's a really good quarterback as well. So I'm curious your thoughts on just that matchup at quarterback.
1: You know, honestly, uh, Louisville pushed the football down the field more like more and often and better yeah. than I thought they would, and they did it more often and better than,
0: than Miami. Miami did. Yeah. They,
1: they connected. Now, one of them is a play by the safety that would just break your heart as a, as a college safety. I mean, like the guy, he takes out the cornerback. Who's going for the like? And somehow the Louisville guy catches it for like an eighty-yard bomb. But th- I thought the intent of Louisville's offense was was notable. They they were they were going hard play action and chucking it deep consistently, and that was something that I, I think you have to be able to challenge Miami vertically. Otherwise, they're they're going to eat you alive, and you have to be able to do it competently. Um, now, I will say Louisville their offensive line did allow. Uh, a little bit more penetration than I, I felt comfortable with, even though I know that Western Kentucky's defense is is pretty good by their standards. Uh, and Miami's defensive line is pretty damn nice. That's not a part of Miami's defense that I'm really worried about. I'm a little bit not totally sold on the coverage from the back end for Miami like I was in the past couple of years. And, and I have a lot of faith in Manny Diaz's defense at Miami because he recruits to his system. He's been the D.C. there even before. He was the head coach. I think he has a lot of trust in his players there. And his results there on defense have been tremendous, especially when you filter out stuff like the ridiculous field position that the offense has put them in repeatedly over the last couple of years. But this is a different test, man. I'm I'm very interested to, to learn like how does Louisville block up Miami uh, and how does Miami cover in the back end? I, I, Unless either team is able to just go absolutely crazy running the ball, the team who is probably more efficient through the air uh is, is I think, likely the one uh, that will come away with the victory. Yeah, and
0: so <clears throat> I think when you do compare Malik Cunningham and, and Derek King, like I, I would contend that they're pretty close. Um, the The reason why Malik Cunningham or McHale, I don't know if I'm saying McHale Cunningham, well, he used is to be Malik. He changed his yeah, name. Yeah, is that what it was? I forgot. Yeah, so, yeah, he changed uh, his name. Uh, the reason why Mikhail Cunningham might even be the guy that you're going to bet on in terms of his passing ability in this matchup is, is something that I'm kind of surprised that Miami isn't... Like, when that first game, like, the running backs look great. I didn't see any wide receivers making any plays. And what Louisville does have is a pretty good wide receiver group like across the board, and in particular, they have Tutu Atwell, who is awesome. And so there are guys that are going to go make Mikael Cunningham right by the way, they go just make plays on the football that I'm not sure I've seen out of Miami yet. Um, they've got, you know, they've got some, we have got talent, but I'm not sure it's flash yet. I mean, maybe, you know, maybe you could argue Brevin Jordan at tight end uh, can, can be that guy in a way, but I, I think the wide receiver position is an area where there's an advantage for Louisville, but here's where, and I haven't figured out what I'm going to do on this game in terms of the pick, the play, the bet, but you mentioned that that Miami defensive line, the Louisville offensive line, and um, you know Louisville all game was basically moving the pocket, uh, sprint out boots, getting Mikael Cunningham outside the pocket, and 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 basically getting the defense moving on play action and th- those sort of things, and 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 him taking his shots and, and trying to hit seams with the pass game that way. You know that's because the offensive line just wasn't that good and if they're not going to be that good and they're going up against Miami's like Quincy Rocher and and Jalen Phillips and Nessa
1: Silvera look awesome. We can one. run. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, and so if, if, if that, that Louisville offense line doesn't have it, um, you know, that's, that could be a problem, um, given how good that Miami defensive line is capable of playing. So, you know, that that's, that's the other sort of big point that I'm keeping an eye on.
1: There's no doubt about it, and I, I think Louisville's passing game is ahead of Miami's right now. Miami probably has to use the tight ends and blocking more than it wants to because the, its tight ends are, are its best pass catchers. Uh, as far as the betting angle, Louisville wants to push tempo, kind of. Miami really wants to push tempo. I think that the but that neither B- team throws the ball super well yet, which so I think the spread is largely accounting for the pace. If this gets to three, or especially three and a half, I'm going to have to pull the trigger and, and, and take some Hurricanes. Um, but right now, what's the, for me, what's it's the line not, right now? The line uh, is two and a half. By the way, Miami uh, Louisville's favorite to Miami's favorite uh, Louisville's favorite. Yeah. There's some crazy, uh, line movements going on right now. I don't know if you saw FAU announced they had uh, 11 guys uh, out with COVID. And so Georgia, Georgia Southern, as we've been on this call, uh, went from a four and a half point dog to a one and a half point favorite. And, uh, it looks like two groups just hit the UNC line because it was flashing on my other computer screen over here. And, uh, it went from from uh, like 27 and a half to 30 31 and now back to 28 so wow so you see
0: like got all the way up to 30 31
1: 31 at one spot yeah that was interesting wow uh, yeah so keep your eye on the covid stuff <laughs> for sure also UAB's QB uh is out
0: saw that yeah but they've been play- haven't they been- they've been playing another guy a little bit haven't they
1: yeah they've been rotating so yeah um i i have no idea like who is out for for FAU so, but they did not practice Tuesday morning. After I a mean, number. Georgia
0: Southern just got off COVID. Uh, they had thirty-three COVID guys there.
1: I I bet Campbell like like you know that the morning of. I was like, oh, wait a second. I'm I don't gonna, know, like, man. You may may want to you may want to like Southern here.
0: yeah. Well, not nah, throw throw Uh-oh. some throw some money at the you know bet on bad news or what? What's what's the you know like? I think that that I wonder if that line is going to be over. Overcompensate for FI, FAU's. I mean, Arkansas State just won with nine starters out,
1: um, which is really scary for Kansas State. By the way, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's not that's not great. Um, all right, so before we get to the rest of the weekend, I want to I want to take this listener question because I, I feel like it's a fun one, and we we need to reward the listeners who who drop us questions in the Apple five star podcast review section. Five stars, of course. So this comes from Mailman2417, and he writes, I'm paraphrasing a bit here, but on your previous podcast, which was R I P P A P N, back in the winter, uh, you mentioned that Florida's 2018-2019 and 2019 recruiting rankings were a bit inflated due to the number of signees who either didn't qualify academically or who transferred without ever playing pretty quickly. For example, Chris Steele, uh, talking about how it relates to Georgia-Florida rivalry for 2021 and why this may give UGA the edge in the depth department when these teams play. Do you still agree with this sentiment for 2020 with experience returning for Florida at important spots uh, and UGA with a lot of turnover on offense. I guess I'll I'll go first and then I want to hear your response. And my answer is yes, this is probably the only thing that is keeping me back from picking Florida because I I know it is prudent to bet on talent. And I know Georgia has pretty soundly out-recruited Florida for those last two classes, especially because Florida had guys who were inflating their rankings like you know Hammond and and Black and Steele and a bunch of dudes who either never stepped foot on campus or got on campus and then quickly, very quickly, got off campus. If Florida's recruiting was just a little bit better, I'm probably pulling the trigger on Florida for the division. And that is one of my things with SEC Preview Week coming up next week for us at 24/7 Sports. Man, every day I'm like, all right, do you like Georgia's defense enough? To keep picking them over Florida because Florida's going to be better on offense, I'm pretty sure. And Dan Mullins is a really good coach. And then I look back and I say, okay, but like routinely, Kirby Smart holds Dan Mullins' offenses to like seven points. Uh, so I'm going to bet on the talent. But like that gap keeps narrowing in my mind, man. And and the only thing holding me back is I just think Georgia's raw talent is better. Well, if,
0: if I were to tell you in all right when did Jamie Newman transfer to Georgia? Was it like January August or February or something?
1: Yeah, I think it was one of the earlier ones
0: all right, so let's just say if I were to tell you in in March right as the right as like spring practices are getting shut down um so there's no spring practice to 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 evaluate, and I'm gonna say, hey bud um the starting quarterback for Georgia on, in next September is going to be Dwan Mathis. Um, you would say good thing, bad thing, don't care.
1: I would say bad thing. Now, I will give credit to Rusty, who I was talking to him on a call in July. He's like, hey, man, I've actually heard that Mathis is way ahead of where they thought he was going to be and I just kind of tucked it back away but then they they took they obviously had Newman and then they took Daniels too and I was like all right maybe this is just you know talk and and I, I don't know Rusty all that well actually only been at the company for you know for a couple of months at that point but it seems like some combination of Daniels not being cleared and uh or not being fully cleared and and maybe Mathis actually being maybe Rusty was really right about this maybe Mathis is way ahead of schedule if Rusty had not told me that I, I'd probably be a little bit less okay with this development as far as a projection standpoint.
0: But, I mean, of course, he's ahead of the schedule because he's, he's looking like he's going to be a starter. I still but this think, was in July, though. I know, I know. But I, just, but, 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 but I guess, but when I, and I get your point, but the idea that now they got a new quarterback, a new offensive coordinator coming in, they had what they thought was an experienced quarterback that could learn this offense that would be be a good solution they brought in another former five-star. Preseason, they've been splitting reps with the ones for, like, what? Through three, like, uh, three yeah. different guys? Maybe four? Like, all of a sudden, I'm sitting here and I'm like, well, what does George even think they are? Like, who, like, are they, are they the Jamie Newman offense? Are they the JT Daniels offense? Oh, wait a minute, no, the are Mathis offense. And all this while they're even just sort of figuring out what the offense even looks like under Todd Munkin. Like, I'm just, I'm, I'm, the idea that Georgia will become something different offensively is is starting to diminish to me. Like it seems to me that this is just all right, like Georgia's going defense is going to be unbelievable. Their offense is gonna be the same thing it's been. Um, and so you know, wh- where does that leave us? And I think where that leaves us is, yeah, Florida's because like if you if you if you consider Georgia in the lens of unbelievable defense and an offense that could take an LSU type of step forward, because a lot of those LSU traits were like like characteristics were there. I mean, talent on the roster, untapped because of the offensive system, coach that's been holding the, the offense by the reins a little bit too tight, new quarterback coming in that was uh, uh, average. But the talent to perhaps be a lot better than that. And a new offensive coordinator coming in with some NFL like chops, like, oh, look, like it checks all the boxes. Maybe this is maybe this explosion is ready to happen. I don't think the explosion is going to happen anymore. And that's not even a commentary on Duan Matt. This is more of a commentary on the uncertainty of that offense over the course of the last several months. And and what like if it, it has to be, there has to be just some sort of lack of identity if they've if there's been this shuffling of of who the quarterback would be. And so I think. All of a sudden, yes, that, that's the idea that Florida, because there is more stability, more continuity on both sides of the ball, really, um, with the exception of the, you know, the wide receiver room is turned over significantly, but they still have some really good players there who have a lot of experience. Um, yeah, like I'm, I, am, I am much more open to the idea that Florida um, could figure this out. And, and 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 beat georgia and and i'm just very anxious to see what the what the todd Monket office looks like
1: i i am as well uh two more minutes on this i want to talk receivers real fast in a couple different contexts number one i was watching sunday night football rams v- versus the cowboys and uh this is right before we we, we hit record on, on barton and bud that night van jefferson man florida receiver who, who's now in the league it got me thinking with how many times they got him open and Goff didn't always hit him, but, but he had a nice night and they were targeting him in, in, in his first game as a rookie in the NFL. Florida lost Van Jefferson, Freddie Swaim, Tyree Cleveland, Josh Hammond. They have a boatload to replace at the receiver position. Now they have Kyle Pitts, they have Trevon Grimes, and we'll see what they can get out of Justin Shorter. If they can get him to catch and be consistent, he could be a beast for them. It's not a given though. So like Florida's run game – has got to be better, and that's that, that. Was last year? If you just looked at their yards per carry, it didn't really tell the full story. That they had one of the worst success rates relative to their explosiveness in the country, which was like plus like, run game. Yeah, they popped like a couple ninety yarders that really <laughs> saved yeah. their butts on the average per carry. Which, if you can keep those ninety yarders and become more more effective because your offensive line is better, that would be absolutely great for them. Uh, but overall, I'm interested to see just how much their pass game is, or how much better their passing game is, having to replace all that receiver talent. And in the second receiver point, and I I want to talk about this more next week, but just in the back of my mind, I thought, okay, Florida picking up Texas A&M is not a gimme. And it's still not a gimme. But now that Jamon Osmond's out at at A&M, I'm just not that afraid of this A&M offense, man. So that's not quite as big of a deal in terms of the game you picked up, like your added game from the Western Division. So I don't know, dude. I'm kind of... uh, I'm, I I I might be talking myself into Florida here live on the podcast. Stay stay tuned for next week. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm
0: I'm uh this is going to be a week by week thing for a lot of teams. Uh we're going we're going to be changing opinions I think pretty regularly throughout the season. So, uh you know, nothing wrong with a little bit of waffling two weeks before kickoff. Um all right, do you want to hit out a couple of these before we get out of here? Um Yeah couple yeah, of weekend storylines that you're interested
1: in we got about what 10 minutes we, we, we can do this so the other stuff i want to learn this weekend uh first of all i sat down to make my numbers and i was like how the hell do you account for navy not practicing with contact and socially distancing in practice because they got boat raced by byu 48 nothing or something like that it was it was pretty bad and then coach kenny and said they're going to go back and practice normally now and he, and he felt like he let his kids down, but his heart was in the right place, you know, trying to make sure they were safe. And I, I get that. But from a handicapping standpoint, like, how do you account for this? I, I think if you, if you downgrade Navy to the extent that their result against BYU says you should, you're going to lose your butt in betting. So I, I dinged them some, but not that much, man. I, I really didn't move their power number because I, I do think that's a, such an outlier thing to not have contact in practice. So I went ahead and played them this weekend, plus eight against Tulane. So they had
0: a bye last week, right? So, yeah, so they've, they've had, had two weeks, to two weeks to to bang heads a little bit, get, get back in the hang of it. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think I also just wonder, I mean, that was, that was, m- I mean, look, they were playing a tough, nasty BYU team that look was very much welcoming of, of some contact. Um but that like there's there had to be more than that. I mean that got they it was it was like they had no business being in that game.
1: You gotta uh, downgrade them some. Yeah. Right? Because like that that can't just be all no contact in practice. But that's very yeah, it'll, weird in it'll the first contract.
0: Yeah it, it'll be interesting. I'm with you. I mean I, that, that Tulane's another test because Tulane's you know they're not typically scared of a little contact either. Um and they've they, they, you know, defend some, some, some option principles at practice every day. And, um, I would imagine that they'll, they'll be, yeah, we'll see. Um, there's some, there are some new coaches getting rolling this weekend. Um, Dave is playing Houston for Baylor. Jeff Halfley kicking off against Duke at Boston College. Uh, and then Willie Taggart, who we talked about at FAU. What's your. Clearly, the new coaches are. What are they? They, they offer against the spread. They like two and six,
1: something, something. I pretty think bad. they are. I think they're one and five against the spread because uh, our man, Jeff Trailer at, uh, at, at UTSA, uh, got, got the win against uh, Texas State. And. I, by the way, I think we can officially pump the brakes hard on the Spavital is going to get a, a, a job now that he's 0 2 to start the year. But hey, if his,
0: his boy, Nate Johnny Manziel McBride, was out that game. We'll,
1: we'll give him a pass. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> although is he back this weekend? Because I'm trying to figure out like, should I bet I him know. against against Louisiana Monroe? I don't know. I just think, man, we've talked about this a lot offseason, and I, I don't know that a lot of other podcasts have, but this has been something that we've been pretty dialed in on just how hard it is to instill your culture and install your schemes without a spring practice and without summer practice and, and trying to do all this stuff over zoom and and get that player buy-in over the summer. And and it's just, I think it's a huge penalty. And so I'm really interested to see how some of these coaches handle it in their first FBS versus FBS game. I mean, USF played last weekend, but they played the Citadel and they, they just ran for like a billion yards because Citadel just can't hang Athlete to athlete, now they got to go to Notre Dame. Like, how does Baylor look like under Dave Aranda? I feel like we actually like Baylor's personnel a decent bit on this show, but this is Aranda's first time as a head coach, and it's a very awkward like anywhere, and it's a very awkward time to to be a first time head coach. Same for Jeff Halfley at Boston College. They got I think four or five spring practices. That's three without pads, and then two, probably one in shells, at a Duke team that. I took Duke when I saw that line come out. I was like, five? I'm gonna lay five. I, I just I, I don't yeah. I'm, I don't think that BC is gonna be able to have their stuff together on offense and defense. And I'm reasonably confident that Duke is like a slightly below average team, and I'm fine backing a slightly below average team with some certainty in this COVID era. Like I, I watched Norvell last weekend, man. They were so bad once they got off script. And there were so many, so many errors they made that I just don't think they anticipated making. And Norvell in his press conference on, on Tuesday morning said it, basically just said, like, it's different now. Like, now we, we actually have film on what these guys do in a game under our coaching, and there's so much stuff that we think we can get in there and maybe correct. And I'm kind of skeptical that he can correct that much, but I think that comment is revealing of just how much you can know about your team as a you know a new head coach here in this era. So I'm really interested to see how these teams handle this.
0: So when I was looking at the depth charts that came out this week, Uh, I wrote it uh, for yesterday. You can find it on 24-7 Sports. It's sort of just some observations as death charts came out. And one of the things that really jumped out to me about BC, and it's similar to the way I I took a look at Baylor's um, last week, is Baylor has, you know, just top to bottom, like, personnel, it's not as bad as you would, like, it's pretty good, honestly, um, even despite as much as they lost. And when you look at um, Boston College's personnel, yeah, Zion Johnson at, at one one offensive tackle position who's probably an NFL pick, uh, the transfer from Davidson who had a really good year last year. Uh, ben Petrula at, at one of the guard spots, probably an NFL guy. Tyler Vrabel, son of Mike Vrabel. I don't know if he's an... I, I assume he's probably an NFL guy as well because he's he was like one of the... I think he had a really good PFF grade last year and that was his first year starting as a redshirt freshman. So he, he's a redshirt sophomore, really good player as well. Um... Alec Lindstrom is the, the other
1: of uh, Chris,
0: uh, is the center. He's the brother of Chris who's a first round draft pick, another Redshirt sophomore. You just look at that offensive line and you're like, "Whoa, that's that's a really good offensive line." They got uh Hunter Long, the tight end who's probably an NFL tight end. They've got David Bailey at running back who was I think sixth in the ACC in rushing last year. No, no. The sixth leading rusher returning in the ACC and and that was while he had 850 yards sharing carries with uh AJ Dillon. they got Jalen Gill coming in from Ohio State uh, at at, at sort of the slot back. Um, They've got uh, oh their wide receiver who I'm I'm blanking on his name. Um, Kobe White. Yeah, Kobe White was really good. Like then you know you look up, you wait a minute. Like this is like this offense is legitimately good. Um, And then there's the question mark at quarterback, which needs to be answered. Phil Jerkovic, who comes from Notre Dame. Let's see what he can do. But you know, in a in a norm in a typical year, I'm looking at Boston College and I'm like, everyone's counting them out. You know, this is a really good coach, Jeff Hafley coming in. This team's going to be better than anyone thinks. Like year one, I don't care. This team's going to be better than anyone thinks. But this isn't a typical year, and this this is it's just going to. I just think it like a Duke's already played a week. B Duke is one of these teams that has this very sound. Uh, know what to expect, culture in place, even with Chase Bryce coming in as a, as a transfer quarterback. I, I, I'm kind of with you that just, you know, some of the parts, BC may be better than Duke, but this isn't about the sum of the parts. This is about like who's, who's better equipped in this game given the circumstances. And uh, I, I just, it's hard to trust any new coach in this kind of situation.
1: Very interesting to see how Boston College throws the ball on early downs, like last year, their passing game was just an all or nothing play action game, right? They either hit bombs or they threw in completions. I mean, their uh, their completion percentage as a team was 52.8, and right? it was just bombs or, or or nothing. And because of that, teams were able to play like a lot of soft cover three, eight-man eight box stuff against them, man. And like sometimes that yielded big runs, but they were able to actually take away some of Boston College's run offense, even with an A.J. Dillon. So they have got to be better at throwing the ball on early downs, just on the underneath stuff, being able to take the, the quote-unquote free yards uh, until they, you know teams start to take it away because you've proven that you can throw it. Now, I noticed you didn't talk about the other side of the ball, and I am definitely more <laughs> confident in Boston College's <laughs> offense than defense. But, man. I didn't. You're right. All right. Last year, Boston College – 110th in Bill Connolly's SP plus defense. I gave up a 48 spot to Kansas. Syracuse put a 58 spot on him. Um, Cincinnati dropped what 38 on him. NC State, that NC State team 45 <laughs> on their ass. Like, oh man, I mean, Wake Forest. Oh, okay, it, it, they only get twenty-eight or twenty-seven to Wake for us. um but
0: that—that that was probably post, uh, post uh, injuries to Surratt and um, Scotty Scotty Washington.
1: Yeah, so some some key areas I think they need to improve in. One hundred twenty-first in uh, rushing explosiveness allowed, probably need to stop giving up so many eighty yards uh, runs, and then um, completion percentage allowed sixty-five <laughs> percent of the year. That is not necessarily. Uh, the best. And yet I see some like some experience on Boston College's roster here. They have, you know, two grad transfers or graduate students. I, I don't know if these guys are transfers. I, I shouldn't speak out of school. Uh at, at defensive tackle. Last year they were not very good at D tackle. So hopefully these guys are transfers because you know, if you have the same guys from last year who are just a year older, you know, that's not necessarily a good thing. Um, you got a lot of oars in the secondary. I, I have confidence in Jeff Hafley as a defensive coach. I have a ton of confidence in him as an evaluator and as a recruiter. Especially over the long term, but man, I don't know if he can make chicken salad with this defense in game one. And also, who is the offensive coordinator for them now? Uh, he's the he, he's an NFL guy. I'm blanking on his
0: name. I wanted to say it was Kurt Signetti, but isn't he the head coach at an uh, FCS somewhere?
1: Signetti. Um, uh, I feel like I've heard the name recently. It's
0: Frank Signetti. Um, so, but that's a again. He's a He's an NFL guy, uh, which makes me feel I don't know. Like, is maybe they're just smart enough to keep it simple. Um, but sometimes these NFL guys are a little bit too um, got a little, little too much installed for uh, for college kids.
1: Yeah, especially in game one. Um, and, and look, Jerkovic. We'll see. Uh, I'm not completely sold on him, much like you are. So. Interested to see there. We already saw we already talked about FAU with their uh with their COVID situation. Uh, by the way, uh, we we regretted or we, we neglected to note on the last podcast about Notre Dame's explosiveness that they did not have Braden Lindsay or uh uh Austin in, Kevin in, in Austin. the game. Kevin Austin, uh, South Florida kid uh for them. Lindsey's gonna be back this week. So I'm willing to pump the brakes a little bit on on the Boston or on, on the Notre Dame explosiveness take. But I'm not willing to say that that's not important because they really do need to improve that if they're going to hang with those elite teams. We'll see if they can drop some bombs on USF. Yeah. That's what I'm watching this weekend.
0: Should be good. One more warm-up, and then we get uh, conference slate, Big 12, SEC, guns a-blazing after this weekend. So should be fun.
1: All right, man. I'll see you next week. All right.